hello and welcome to episode 14 of Tech Swamp. Of course, we have our hosts and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Caitlin, what's up? You know, just membership chilling. Membership chilling. And we have a guest co-host this episode, Ashley Durkin-Rexy. Hey, Ashley. Thanks for joining us. Longtime listener, first-time guest host. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and of course, this is Alex. So today we're talking artificial intelligence, specifically in the healthcare arena, with founder of ACT The Association, Mike Sachs. We're also going to be joined by Nicolas Duplessis from member company Ophelia. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. February 26, 1927, 92 years ago this month, the Federal Radio Commission, now Federal Communications Commission, was created. On February 26, the Radio Act of 1927 was signed into law, which created the FRC. It was created to recognize broadcasters' right to free speech. Less than 10 years later, as communications expanded and television became more popular, the FRC became outdated and was replaced by what we now know as the FCC. Aside from the radio, the FCC now regulates television and phone industries and all interstate communications such as wire, satellite, and cable. And that's all for Tech History. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Ashley, what are some of the top tech headlines? We are a little over 600 days away from the 2020 election, so you know what that means. We're talking about the presidential primary. (laughs) 13 candidates have announced that they are running for president. 11 Democrats, including Senators Booker, Gillibrand, Harris, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren, and two Republicans, President Trump obviously included. Primary debates are expected to kick off around April or May of this year, but the actual voting for the primaries won't begin until February of 2020. Now you can check out our show notes for info on who's running, who's thinking about running, and much more. Speaking of President Trump, he recently announced that he'll be delaying U.S. tariffs on China that were set to begin on March 1st of this year. The reason? The White House reports there has been substantial progress on trade talks with China. Much of these talks surround intellectual property and technology transfer, among other things. Trump went on to say that plans are in the works to hold a summit at his Florida retreat, Mar-a-Largo, to finalize this agreement. And moving on to privacy, or privacy, as we call it here, (laughs) Facebook is back at it again with the accusations and unfair blame on the app industry when it comes to consumer data. In a recent Wall Street Journal article, Facebook placed the blame of their own mishandling of data on app developers, despite the fact that Facebook has exceeded limits of their own data sharing agreements with business partners to further their own advertising revenue. For more information on Facebook's position and how we're defending our members, check out the show notes. You know who else is talking about privacy? Congress. Hey-o. This week, the House Energy and Commerce Committee is holding a hearing called Protecting Consumer Privacy in the Era of Big Data, where they'll be exploring how companies collect, aggregate, analyze, use, and disseminate vast amounts of data about consumers. Over in the other chamber, the Senate Commerce Committee is also dipping their toes into the privacy pool, with their hearing policy principles for a federal data privacy framework in the U.S., According to Senate Commerce Chairman Roger Wicker, this will be the first in a series of many hearings that will offer valuable insights to help set the stage for meaningful bipartisan legislation on data privacy. For more info on these hearings, including written testimony and ways to watch, head over to our show notes. And remember when we said that Amazon's HQ2 search was over? Yeah. It's not. Earlier this (laughs) month, Amazon canceled its plans to build part of their new campus in the Queens neighborhood of New York City. 
A spokesperson for Amazon said that despite 70% of New Yorkers supporting the plans, a, quote, number of state and local politicians have made it clear that they oppose our presence and will not work with us to build the types of relationships that are required to go forward with the project. We and many others have envisioned in the Long Island City. And it's not clear when Amazon will choose a new city to set up shop, but we'll let you know when they do. And one more thing. DC's hottest spring event is the 2019 Patents in Telecoms and the Internet of Things Summit. That's right. ACT, the App Association, is hosting a symposium. Mark your calendars for Wednesday, March 20th at George Washington University's Jack Morton Auditorium. This will be a one-day workshop on all things standard essential patents. We have speakers from industry, academia, and government to discuss recent legal and policy developments related to SEPs. And by now, I know you're all novice experts in SEPs because you listened to last month's Tech Swamp and learned about all things SEP. So, I'm expecting to see you there. And that's all for What's Brewing. Today we're sitting down with our founder, Mike Sachs, for a discussion on augmented or artificial intelligence in the healthcare space. Hey Mike, thanks for joining us. Hi Alex, good to be here. And Mike, you're also like in town at the table. I am, and I'm very excited and happy to be here too. We're happy to have you. Um, So there's a lot to talk about here, uh, but before we dive in, I think there are a couple key things that we should sort of get to. And I think the first is really like what we mean when we say AI. So, like, from a technology perspective, what are we really talking about? It means that we're using um, tools such as machine learning to help us make more intelligent choices um, in in medicine that can be helping a doctor uh, look at something and processing data that they would normally take a lot longer to process themselves. It could also mean making sure that people don't make mistakes. So, in a hospital, when somebody is giving uh, some medicine and something doesn't look right, something doesn't make sense, we're actually catching those errors and, and preventing people from potentially dying or getting really sick uh, because of a mistake. Absolutely. So, so basically, it's you know just another uh, interesting implementation of technology into the care continuum. Um, and, and Ashley, I also want to talk a little bit about, like do a little scene setting. So people are mm-hmm. talking a lot about AI. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, in the healthcare space specifically, we sort of have this really interesting convergence of a few trends. Um, Data is nothing new to physicians, but we are in a shortage of physicians and caregivers writ large. People are sick. We have a number of continuous diseases that people are seeking treatment for more often and they're generating more data points. Absolutely. So with the rise in that, and then the same research that's being done across the healthcare field in academia, research universities, by practitioners themselves, and then also technology looking at ways to continue to solve problems that people encounter every day and new verticals to expand into. So healthcare and AI is actually more of a natural match than one might think. And how do you know? It's because big companies are getting in on it. I mean, Amazon is in health AI, Microsoft, Intel, IBM, yeah. lots of big companies, Apple, 
are using AI in a healthcare way. Yeah, and I think one of the other cool things, and, and sort of mm-hmm. to your point that this is really cross-cutting, is that we also see organizations like the AMA, who represent physicians, um, also taking a lead and sort of talking about how physicians can utilize AI and what some of the principles should be and how physicians should be thinking about it as sort of a um, tool in their arsenal, um, which is kind of cool. It's, it's pretty interesting to see all these different groups talking about AI. Um, Right, and one place where they're talking about them together is our Connected (laughs) Health Initiative. So we have been doing a lot of work on AI, and we had an AI task force that was sort of tasked with this disparate group of stakeholders to all come together and really identify, you know, what are some things we can agree on? What are some areas that we can flag as this presents a challenge or this presents an opportunity? and begin to develop just some basic needs Mm -hmm. and asks, especially in the policy arena. Absolutely. Arena, rather. (laughs) um, Because healthcare is a very complex legislative and regulatory environment. So we had this multi-stakeholder dialogue on the role of AI in healthcare. And it really focused on a couple of key deliverables. Um, Creating a position piece that supports AI's role in healthcare, and we can get into some of the more of those specific roles. Policy principles to address how these policy frameworks should look at AI in healthcare. What kind of limitations should there be looking at privacy, collection of data, lots of things like that. And then, as you even pointed out, terminology, (laughs) knowing exactly what we're talking about, because there is a lot of different ways to talk about this kind of technology and there are no two more jargon heavy environments than healthcare and technology mm-hmm. so you got to have that terminology doc too absolutely and i think um and mike you know this because us us old longtime hat wearers here at ACT, one of the things that we say a lot is that we don't necessarily want technology at the pace of government, but one of the things that I think is unique to AI, especially AI as it relates to healthcare, is that we have an opportunity to sort of get involved early to help shape policy rather than having the technologists have to like dive in and figure out how to comply with really complex legislation or regulation um, that maybe hasn't taken into account how things are really being used. But I want to, we were sort of talking about this earlier, and I think one of the interesting things that you brought up is sort of um, the nature of technology a little bit. Will you sort of expand on that a little? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded uh, of this artist, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, the science fiction writer, uh, quote, and he said, any sufficiently advanced uh, technology is indistinguishable from magic. And so we tend to think about AI sometimes as magic. And we're a very long uh, ways away from self-driving cars and and uh, autonomous physicians that are <laughs> robots or anything like that. So these things are tools that help us make decisions, that help us save time, that help us prevent mistakes. They're not things that we're going to replace healthcare workers, whether it's physicians or nurse practitioners or anybody else, um, anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, we, we can use these technologies to help bring the human element in healthcare um, and make it more prominent, 
than it has been in, in the past, a lot of healthcare workers are being overwhelmed with bureaucracy, bureaucracy and, and checks and uh, things to make sure that, that the safety uh, of patients is, is uh, preserved, which are very important and they serve an important function because all this stuff has to be billed and paid for through insurance companies and, and other systems. But at the same time, they don't do anything to help the patient and they don't help the, un the patient understand what's going on in their body and, and that relationship between a physician and a patient or be between a nurse and a patient is really what healthcare is all about and it's, it's what will make this healing uh, possible. It's not about the administration, it's not about preventing mistakes, it's not about any of that, but at the same time, those things are absolutely necessary. And I believe the big opportunity for AI is to help free up time so that all these healthcare givers can actually give healthcare and, and have a human connection with the patients instead of a bureaucratic one. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, um, you know, especially Ashley, you mentioned mm -hmm. there is a healthcare shortage um, or a healthcare provider shortage, certainly. Um, and one of the things that sort of is a potential of AI is changing a little bit the way in which care is delivered in that we can have mm -hmm. relationships outside of the traditional um, in facility care. Um, but I, I want to go back to something you mentioned before, which is that um, we um, we do have a position piece about sort of the why AI and healthcare, which I think mm -hmm. is sort of, it, it speaks really closely to what Mike was just explaining. Um, and we sort of based our thinking on this on, we called it the quadruple aim. Mm -hmm. um, and um, will you just kind of go over what those, like what the quadruple aim is? Yeah, the quadruple aim, which has expanded, it was, the triple aim. It but was. Now we've got the quadruple yes. aim. You're so right. <laughs> and so the Institute for Healthcare Improvement came up with the triple aim. It's a widely used framework that looks at how we can optimize health system performance. And the quadruple aim looks, kind of narrows that focus down a little bit to look at four key areas for improving healthcare. And that's population health, patient experience, set of satisfaction and healthcare outcomes, better clinician and healthcare team satisfaction, and lower overall costs of healthcare. So when you talk about hitting that aim, it's almost, it's kind of like a, a target board. You really want to be right there in the center of those right. four quadrants. Yeah. And AI is a great way, I think, just to talk about population health, which I think is an example that a lot of people can grasp onto. Um, you read, you know, research that talks about in a survey of 10,000 patients, we see X. Expand that out to 30 million patients. Yeah. To 100 million when you're looking at disease epidemics and really serious things like Ebola or Zika, really big, you know, sort of pandemic-ish diseases. That's a lot of data. And something like AI can help look through larger, more complex sets of data faster to look for trends, outcomes, pinpoint certain things that then researchers, clinicians, government officials and regulators can look at and say, wow, okay, it's clear that we need to move on this particular outcome. And then it's helping them make decisions 
on a wide scale of everything from policy to medication treatment. Right. And the so the thing is that they're getting sort of the top level most important information mm-hmm. they need when they need it. Right. Um, instead of down the line or missing something, which I think is really interesting. And I think that's also interesting given the way um, we're sort of seeing shifts in healthcare generally, um, whether that's sort of the administration prioritizing um, getting the patients sort of back in the center of their own care, mm-hmm. um, giving them more access to their own data, um, giving physicians access to new technologies and sort of encouraging them and incentivizing them to use those technologies through new programs um, paid for by CMS, um, including the quality payment program um, and also some of the new reimbursement codes. Right. Um, and some of those things will then have a have a, an effect on the uptake, I think, of the use of, of tools like this as well. And even getting down to the individual patient, you know, if you have a disease like diabetes, like type 2 diabetes, that you live with 365 days a year, you're constantly generating data points about how you feel, how you're doing with your medication, your food, physical activity, all of these things. So in that population of one health profile, you can give your doctor a lot of information to look at to say, gee, why is Ashley feeling really poor now, but three months ago or a year ago, she was doing great. So AI can look through that data over time to really extrapolate and see, gee, we started her on this new medication three months ago. Maybe this dosage isn't right. And if that's the outlier, it can be addressed much faster than just the next time I see you, which in some cases for some patients could be only once or twice a year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last thing um, that's worthwhile touching on is that while I think we think that the the most important um, implementation of AI is going to be in improving you know, patient outcomes, improving care, improving um, the lives of physicians also, improving their ability to treat, um, and improving the relationship between the two, um, I think it's also worthwhile to note that there is a potential for reducing healthcare costs generally, um, which I think is interesting. Can you guys, like, touch on that a little? Absolutely. You know, one of uh, recently updated statistic uh, by HHS is we are spending 19.4% of our gross domestic product on healthcare. And compared so with <laughs> other nations of sort of our development status, that's a lot. Yeah. That is really a lot. And, you know, if you think about every time you go to the doctor, that visit, that physical visit has a price tag associated with mm-hmm. it. And if you're just going to a doctor because you got, you know, run-of-the-mill seasonal allergies, <laughs> that's an expensive visit for allergies. Yeah. So what are the ways that when you are really, there is a payment attached, we're making sure it's for the most important thing that you're there seeing a doctor for to save you time, payers, providers, everyone save them costs. Yeah. Um, The other part that I think is really important is that, um, and this is not just AI, but it's, it's mobile technology and communications and everything, is that we can empower people to take back yeah. uh, and become in charge of their own health. That's a great point. We've had a, a very reactive model of healthcare where we let things slip to uh, the point where it becomes a crisis and then it's always much more expensive to fix 
something af at that point than it would have been uh, to prevent it. And by, by helping people um, look at their health, see how they're doing, make adjustments in real time and see the effects of that directly, they will start leading a much healthier life. They will start getting sick less frequently and less uh, seriously. And I believe over time, the, the healthcare cost of, of those patients will go down dramatically. And the insurance companies are starting to really understand that and starting to invest in proactive healthcare for the people who are, who are joining their program. And so I'm very optimistic that technology can play a very serious part in solving this huge healthcare problem that we're dealing with. I think that's a great point. Um, and I want to thank you guys both for coming and talking to us about all this stuff. Of course. Um, and Ashley, I'm going to have you give the plug because we have uh, a blog about these very principles that we've put together. Yes, we do. It's on our website. It gets into a little more detail about some of the discussions that went into developing these uh, policy documents and then the documents themselves. Great, um, and we'll link to that in show notes um, so you guys can all read them, highly encourage it. Um, so now we're gonna be off uh, to Caitlin and Nicola for Member Minutes. And today for Member Minutes, we have Nicola Duplessis from member company Ophelia. Hey, Nicola, thanks for joining us on TechSwamp. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. And welcome to your first uh, TechSwamp experience. Thank we hope you. to have you back many more times. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure you will have us. Awesome. So, you know, we've been talking about AI in healthcare, specifically policy-related topics and issues. But now we want to hear from someone who is actually using AI in the healthcare space. And, you know, what better person than you? Um, so first of all, can you tell us about Ophelia and what you guys are doing? Sure. Um, so Ophelia is a French e-health startup based in uh, Brittany in France. Um, that wants to make prevention and screening of at-risk pregnancies accessible to all women around the world. It aims to reduce mat maternal and infant mortality globally through the use of what we call a predictive obstetrical algorithm. So the original idea came from my sister, who is the CEO of, of our company, and she's also a certified midwife and sonographer. She's been working in her own practice for um, over 15 years. She's experienced, uh, sorry, she experienced herself uh, firsthand complications during her first pregnancy whilst living in South America um, more than 14 years ago. And she decided after that point that no woman should have to go through complications throughout their pregnancies or have to risk their life or that of their baby. So um, we were founded in January 2018 and uh, literally just launched our, our platform two months ago. Um, so far, it's been very well received, and I'm happy to um, announce that so far we have um, around a thousand users from uh, from more than forty countries already using the platform. That's awesome! It is congratulations. Uh, That's uh, something to be really proud of. Thank you, and you were there as well when we were launching, so it was great meeting you as well. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, in regards to um, what Ophelia does, think of it as a telemedicine platform dedicated to optimizing the obstetrical follow-up of pregnant women and newborns, whatever their country of residence uh, and the medical resource available locally. This is very important as, um, as you probably know, not every woman has easy access to a medical environment or to any sort of medical care, um, especially in, in, in the US, that's, already, that's also the case. 
Um, now, to conclude, as for the medical benefits of FLEA, these cover a wide, wide spectrum, ranging from um, optimized obstetrical prevention for women, uh, the sensitization and education of women to the most common medical conditions, or getting access to a quality obstetrical platform for large geographical areas in emerging countries with few obstetrical resources, or to population like in the US that do not have access to medical care. The work that you guys do is so impressive. When I when I met you guys at CES, um, I was really just you know blown away by the work that you guys are doing. And it sounds like such you know a simple idea, like having someone be in control of their own healthcare. But so many times that just is just not the case. Um, so since we've been talking about AI, um, can you talk just a little bit high level about how Ophelia has integrated AI into um, what you guys are doing? Sure, no problem at all. So um, the main innovation of Ophelia is the management of obstetrical risk during pregnancy using artificial intelligence, uh, as I just mentioned before. So uh, we set up a predictive monitoring of the evolution of the risk thanks to the use of an algorithm associated with what we call a pregnancy passport. Think of it like your pregnancy file that is to be shared with your practitioner. There are six obstetrical conditions involved in the screening process. Um, these are hypertension and its complication, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, preterm birth, uh, hemorrhagic risk, and retarded growth. So going into a bit more detail, the initial assessment is done via a simple questionnaire which the user fills out during her personal, uh, sorry, using her personal obstetrical family background data. Once her data is entered, and if a medical condition risk is detected, if failure triggers a risk level notification and sets up monitoring recommendation based on the user input tailored to her personal data sets. So the recommendation will be always tailored to a specific individual. Uh, there will not be a one-size-fits-all. Um, every single woman is different, so they will get specific recommendation based on, on their personal background. Um, what happens next is uh, we prompt the user at different point during her pregnancy um, to enter additional data about how she feels on any given day. For example, this could range from having uh, feeling tired, having swollen legs, uh, fainting, having problems with your vision, or any other symptoms that would instantly make the algorithm work in the background, triggering a, a new risk increase or sometimes decrease. Um, and um, when when this risk is, is very too um, very uh, pretty much too high, uh, in most severe cases, we would recommend the woman to go see a practitioner or go to their local hospital or dispensary if they live in an emerging country. We do not replace the practitioner; we help them throughout their health journey and help them identify what are major risks. So. The main benefit of the use of artificial intelligence is um, its speed and accuracy, but also the fact that we can use big data to make it even smarter and even more precise at providing recommendations or identifying new obstetrical condition um, patterns. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we were talking about yesterday is that AI is not going to be replacing anyone anytime soon. It's just going to be enhancing the information between patient Precisely. and physician. Precisely. That's a very important point. We do not um, replace any uh, medical recommendation that you would get from a practitioner. Uh, we only helping a woman uh, assess a potential uh, risk that they may have and then guide them through uh, uh, a potential uh, resolution, either guiding them to their local hospital, dispensary or practitioner. So um, so just going back to you, um, you know, how we use um, the, this data. So we, we work very closely with... Um, 
uh, a scientific committee that we have working closely with us, uh, but also a, a data scientist uh, team and external organizations such as the World Health Organization to guarantee that our recommendations are at least as good, if not better, to what a patient would get if they were to go to, to their own practitioner. This is, this is very, very important in terms of uh, compliance. Um, our artificial intelligence is also scalable and um, it will benefit other key players in the ecosystem. Uh, for example, hospitals, clinics, insurances, governments, but also NGOs or companies willing to offer their employees obstetrical monitoring during their pregnancies in order to help minimize the pregnancy risk for their employees. The more they integrate with um, our artificial intelligence, the more they will benefit from it, namely by saving practitioner and patient's time for the initial assessment or by identifying a medical condition before it becomes too critical, requiring hospitalization, which is quite costly, not only for the government or hospital, but sometimes also uh, for, for, for the patient. So uh, obviously this is um, a work in, in, in progress. Um, so we literally just launched the application a month, ago, a month and a half ago, and we are actively working at extending our artificial intelligence capability and coverage with more obstetrical conditions covered, but also integration of connected devices and wearables, uh, integration with biological and ultrasounds data that will also have an effect uh, on the woman's risk level. It's uh, and its assessment and a relevant recommendation, but also uh, strengthened our um, machine learning capability, which will allow Ophelia to get even smarter at predicting at which points a specific risk level gets triggered and will make the platform self-sufficient in a way um, um, at improving its own recommendation, but also identifying new obstetrical or medical patterns. patterns. This is a very important point. Uh, so also always working with our scientific committee, we make sure that we validate all of that data, uh, working with the local re regulatory uh, authorities to validate our findings. Um, to conclude, and as an example, uh, there could be a specific type of population that could trigger a given obstetrical condition under specific variables that no one yet knows about or understand. Ephelia will be able to identify these patterns um, uh, because the users use the platform and we have all of that data, we can say, well, the population uh, in Peru, uh, women that are between 20 and 25 years old, actually triggering gestational diabetes. And no one knew about beforehand. No, sorry, no, no one knew about this beforehand. Uh, and thanks to the power of, of data and artificial intelligence and machine learning, we can then do modelization of, of, of these patterns and then work with uh, the relevant organization in order to help them address these issues with this specific uh, population. So we, we ultimately aim to become a, a provider of key medical information to medical authorities to help to fight uh, to help the fight against female and child mortality worldwide and contribute to improving women's health around the globe. Um, to conclude, Ophelia aims to harness the power of, of AA hopefully harness the power of AI and machine learning to not only improve women's life throughout their whole pregnancy, but throughout the entire uh, three, uh, throughout their entire health journey. So yeah, it's, it's a big, uh, it's a big mission that we have ahead of us. Absolutely. But you guys are, are doing an amazing job. We're, we're so proud to call companies like, you know, Ophelia and, and all of our other member companies, members of ACT, the app association. And we really believe in, in the work that you guys are doing. And um, we're, we're proud to call you a member. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be um, a part of your organization as well. Okay. So that is all for member minutes today. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us for your thank first you. time on TechSwamp. Thank you very much, Caitlin. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. And for more information on Ophelia, head over to our show notes. And now it's time for our random identifier. And Mike, since you're the guest and this is your first random identifier, you are going to be up first. What do you have for us? 
Well, uh, yesterday morning, I walked out of my hotel because I'm visiting here, and the sun was so bright and the sky was so blue and so big, it almost felt like I was in Montana or something. And, and like I, not in a not in a city full of like angry commuters. Well, that, that's exactly what I was going to talk about because I was so it was about a twenty minute walk to the office. And I saw this lady with her daughter, and then I saw this hipster with his uh, AirPods, probably listening to a podcast, and people on these bikes, and then one of those silly scooter things, and people driving. And I just saw all these people, and I knew they were all probably going to some something that had to do with policy. And and it just, I, I felt so thankful that I could walk to this office and work on something that I really believe in and feel is really worthwhile. And with you guys who are, you know, people that I adore and enjoy Aww. working with. So <laughs> I know oh, I, I'm putting, this is really random for a random identifier, but I'm, I was just having a moment of gratitude yesterday and it was uh, so intense and I'm kind of excited right now that I can share it with all of you. So. That's well, it. we appreciate that. So nice. I also am glad we started with you because I feel like we are never that positive. No, I'm like, the world is on fire. Listen to me complain. Um, and with that, <laughs> Ashley, what is your random identifier? Well, my big downer identifier is I'm Is here... it a downer, though? No, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I am here with an update on a previous random identifier. My favorite topic, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Very excited. So I talked about reading Bad Blood by the Wall Street Journal's John Carreyou and all the crazy details about what was going on at Theranos and all their illegal and super dangerous activity. <laughs> um, and there's been some new information. So Nick Bilton of Vanity Fair, a favorite tech reporter of mine, recently dropped an update about the last days of yes. Theranos and a wonderful Elizabeth Holmes anecdote yes. that is capturing the nation. And um, our hearts. Yes. Really. So <laughs> she acquired a Siberian Husky puppy. Yep. And she got this puppy uh, <laughs> as sort of a way to rally the troops at Theranos. So she named the puppy Balto. Well, Balto was not a welcome presence in a healthcare lab setting. Totally. Uh, the lab technicians kept reminding her <laughs> that his hair was contaminating samples. Yep. Which... It really didn't matter if you know anything about that lab. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, of course, not potty trained, so he had some Accident. pointed things to say during some board meetings, including in front of people like Henry Kissinger. Oof. And then the weirdest thing is, at some point, she just began telling people he was not a Siberian husky, but a wolf. That's what no. favorite. And he's not, a wolf. Not sadly. just people at Theranos. Apparently, she told people who just came up to her in Palo Alto if they were like, hey, your dog is really cute. She was like, this dog is a wolf in her super deep fake voice that she was using. So, uh, this story continues to give great anecdotes. Insert fire emoji here. F-Y-R-E. <laughs> F-Y-R-E emoji. <laughs> um, Caitlin, tell us about your random identifier. So, um, there was a situation in Germany on Sunday where a fat German rat got stuck in a sewer grate. 
I saw this on BuzzFeed today, and I just was like, I need to talk about this because this is my new favorite rat. Because mm-hmm. my other favorite rat was Pizza Rat. Right. Um, which Don't you have a picture of Pizza I Rat? I do have a picture your, of Pizza yeah. Rat in my office area. So, obviously, Fat German Rat in the sewer will be yeah. next. <laughs> so, basically, uh, this rat get, got stuck in a sewer grate, and firefighters came to the rescue of the rat. Oh, my God. Um... <laughs> Can you imagine that in D.C.? Right. That never happened. D.C. No. has a worse rat problem now than New York City, so they, someone just would have hit it with their car. Oh, But sad. basically a local <laughs> animal rescue organization... <laughs> a local animal rescue organization was unable to free the rat, so they called in the big guns, a.k.a. the firefighters. And there are so many images of these firefighters carefully trying to remove this rat from being trapped in the sewer grate... <laughs> Um, they were able to rescue her. They got her free. She is safe. Um, and then one of the firefighters who actually physically rescued her um, was given a really sweet picture by a little girl who was the one who found the rat. She drew a rat with little hearts on it and gave it to him. And I just think that's so nice because, like Alex said here in D.C., that just... It would never happen. That would have never yeah. happened. So, um, my random identifier, the um, the Oscars were on Sunday. Um, so I have three things to say about this. Number one, they did not have a host, and I actually think like maybe that was good for them. Like, Ratings were the Oscars apparently good? were up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because everybody thought that they would be a disaster, but like perhaps they were like mm. they were sort of okay, maybe. Um, thing two that I have to say is that uh, Maya Rudolph, Amy Poehler, and Tina Fey um, one um, they should host <laughs> everything. Two, I would like for them to adopt me. <laughs> um, and three, um, twenty twenty candidacy. As, one. as a unit. Yeah. 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 They will definitely have a platform on caftans. I mean... Led by Maya Rudolph. They looked amazing. They're, like, funny. They're smart. I love them. I'm obsessed with them. Thank you, Oscars, for giving me that moment. Um, and then thing three that I would like to talk about is Jason Momoa's um, <gasps> Velvet Scrunchie. Fendi. And he was wearing the last tuxedo ever that um, Karl Lagerfeld ever had sort of his hands on, Aww. which is fascinating and sad, but also fascinating. Um, so good job, Jason Momoa, for the scrunchie. <laughs> and, and just everything. Yeah, yeah, and just life. Just <laughs> okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate and review. Five stars. And that's all for today, <laughs> folks. Everyone say bye. 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 bye.